We're starting a new series today called The Art of Neighboring. Um, you might remember this title if you've been around Shiloh for a while. Um, we did a series called The Art of Neighboring back in 2016, right after we relaunched our new 2030 vision. And so we kind of repackaged that series and we're going to go back through it just because it is so, so important to who we want to be as a church. So I'm going to begin in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So here's the question he asked to Jesus. And my question to you is, do you know your neighbors? Right? Do you know the people that live next door? Not the soccer mom in the minivan with the crazy kid who runs up and down the yard. Or the crotchety old man who shakes his fist and yells at everyone who drives too fast on the street. Or the com obsessive compulsive, excess, excuse me, obsessive compulsive yard work guy. Or the loud card guy. All of these are neighbors that we have had or possibly could be us. But do you know your neighbors? The people that literally live next door to you. And more than just knowing who they are, how you would describe them, do you know them? Do you know what's going on in their life, in their family? Do you know what's going on in their job or how their health is doing? What if the biggest solution to society's biggest issues has been right under our nose for 2,000 years. What if Jesus' words to love our neighbor as ourself could transform our communities, our society, and even our world if people who claim to follow Jesus actually lived this out every day of our life? We'll talk about this on an individual level because it's so important, but on a communal level, do we know our neighbors? Because we live in a very, very economically diverse area of town. I would imagine there are all economic statuses within a mile radius of our building, from apartments to neighborhoods to million-dollar homes within a mile of this area. And it's so easy to talk about it on a level here because here there's some anonymity to it. It's those people out there as we're in here. 
And it's easy to focus on that. We need to do a better job as a church reaching the people who live next next door to us. But in this series, we're not really going to talk about what we need to do as a church. We're going to talk about what we need to do as individuals to engage our neighbors. About 10 years ago, a group of ministers and pastors in Colorado got together, and they went to the mayor of their city, and they said, what is the one thing that we could do that would make the biggest impact in our city? And as you could imagine for a mayor, there is an entire list of problems that he began to go through, from at-risk kids to run-down neighborhoods to child hunger to drug and alcohol abuse to loneliness and elderly shut-ins. There were problems all over this community. But then the mayor said this. He said, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. If we could figure out how to live together better, it would make our community better. And so these groups started doing some research. These churches started doing some research and looking at some things. And here's some things they found. People who have close bonds to their neighbors live longer. There's benefit. Okay, right. Next where neighbors know each other, now get this, where neighbors know each other, crime is down 60%. I'll just stop here and I don't know if one of our neighbors is here, but one of our neighbors who knew their neighbors, their neighbors watched a TV walk out their front door while they were on vacation and the neighbors didn't say anything. (laughs) So it's not always true. But most of the time, 60% lower if you know your neighbor. And then this other one, when disaster strikes, neighbors are often the first responders. They're the first people to come show up at their door. But we live in a society where it's, well, it's someone else's problem and someone else needs to fix it, right? We identify a problem. People go to city officials. They say, we need to fix this or we need to change that. We need to start this program or legislate this law. But what if we could make a tremendous impact in our cities, neighborhood, and communities by simply being a great neighbor, by loving those that live next door? So I'm going to just be real upfront. We're going to spend the next three weeks in this series. And I have one goal, one agenda in this series. It is to get you to go next door. And I believe it's so important. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about it. And I'm going to give you some homework with it every day. And I'm also going to give you some really simple action steps with this. But I just want to be really upfront right from the start. That is my goal, that is my agenda in this series, to get you to go next door. 
Because as a church, right, we reimagined who we wanted to be. And we came out with our new 2030 vision. We said we wanted to be a church that exalts Christ. We want to be a church that encourages one another, right, collectively here. But then we wanted to also be a church that engages our neighbor. We want to learn to love the people that live around us well. This past Sunday was Halloween. And Halloween is kind of a really interesting concept in our society. Because it is the one night where it is perfectly acceptable to walk up to your neighbor's door, knock or ring the doorbell and say, hey, give me something. And so we went with our kids, kids dressed up, costumes changed on the middle of the route several times. We actually went with another family from Shiloh, and we walked through our neighborhood. And and here's the amazing thing, is everyone else was out that night too, except for the mean people who have their lights turned off. If that's you, shame on you. But we walked through our neighborhood, and we had conversations with people. We, we talked to neighbors and we met people that we've not met before. And people will stop and talk. We had families where several houses combined. And they were all sitting outside together. And they were talking and laughing and talking to neighbors. One house made popcorn and they were just giving it out to people. And it's pretty amazing that that happens one night a year. There's not another day where it's like, well, yeah, we're just going to go walk through our neighborhood. I think the thing I appreciated most about COVID, COVID was, has been horrible. We've hated it. There have been so many things. The thing I did appreciate early on is we were all stuck inside, and so we all started getting outside. Our family went for more walks as a family in our neighborhood in about a six-month period than we have in the other eight, nine years we've been here. We'd go on family bike rides, and we would see other people and their families out walking dogs, going out on a walk, and we would stop and we would talk, and we'd see someone in an Andy Woods t-shirt and say, hey, our kids go to Andy Woods too. What's your... What class is your kid in? We, we had conversations with people. What I've noticed is COVID has slowly become just a normal way of life. We've fallen back into our old patterns. And it's a lot more normal for me to turn into my driveway, open my garage, go in, shut my garage, and not leave not go out and talk to those that live around us because I'm busy and we got stuff to do and we're always going somewhere but getting to know those that live around us so yesterday um, I actually got to do two funerals one of the funerals that I did yesterday morning was for our neighbor. His name was Willie Cowden, but we just called him Mr. Willie. It was interesting as I was kind of sharing how our relationship 
began? I guess it really began around candy. I think Mr. Willie had brought some candy to our kids and given them this gift, and then we ran into this problem as the months and weeks went on where we would be looking for Kaylee and Caleb and not sure where they were, and then we'd find out that they were next door. They'd either gone to Chris and Janie's or they were next door at Mr. Willie's. And Kaylee, as a three-, four-year-old, would ring the doorbell on Mr. Willie's door. And he'd open the door and she'd say, Mr. Willie, do you have any candy for me? (laughs) And he would give her candy. But what was amazing, or there were times where he didn't have any. And he would say, I'm sorry, baby, I don't have any. And she'd scurry on back home. But without fail, he would get into his car, drive to the store, and buy candy. And he would show up at our door, ring the doorbell, and he would have a bag of candy for each one of our kids. And the thing I remember most is having someone next door. And here's the thing about our street, is over the past several years, we've gotten to know the people on our street really well. We know most of our neighbors. And if you were to look at Mr. Willie and you were to look at us, society would tell you that relationship shouldn't really work because there's way too many differences. Racially, the college football team we like. Where we're from. I mean, there's so many differences. But getting to know someone is one of the easiest ways to tear down those walls of division. Because it's a lot more difficult to hate someone, to dislike someone that you've actually sat down with and shared a meal, had a conversation, who love your kids. And what made that relationship so amazing was just simply showing up day after day and the long-term commitment and consistency we had. See, the reason that we're more comfortable talking about how we as a church can engage our neighbor than how you as an individual can engage your neighbor is because it's so much easier to write a check to care for someone else's neighbor than it is to go next door and invest in yours. It's a lot easier to write a check so that you don't have to do anything, so that I don't have to do anything, than it is for me to go next door. Love your neighbor is what Jesus says. And it sounds simple. We'll put it on a bumper sticker. 
We might even wear it on a t-shirt. But my question is, do we actually do it? Do we actually love those who literally live next door to us? Those who work in the office next to us? Those we encounter every day in the grocery store? I think the man who asked Jesus the question thought he had it right. And he goes on and he says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Thinking, knowing he was right. And Jesus tells probably a parable, whether you've gone to church your whole life or not, you have heard. The Good Samaritan. He tells a story about a man who is going on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was very rocky. It was on the side of a mountain, basically. It was a very small, thin, not wide road, maybe a couple feet wide, there was not really another side. And a priest passes by on the other side. If you've seen this road, you basically know he stepped over the man. And a Levite passes by. And neither do anything to help the man. But then the story takes a surprising turn. Because what no one would expect happens next in Jesus' story. A Samaritan stops and helps the man, puts him on his donkey, cares for him, pays for a place to stay, and takes him to an inn. This is not how the story was supposed to go but it is. Because Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other. You see, in 930 BC, the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern and southern kingdom. And as a part of this, Samaria became the capital city of the northern kingdom. And they were despised by the southern kingdom and the people of Judah. So the tribe of Judah and Benjamin made up this southern kingdom, and the other ten tribes were to the north. They actually tried to go back and reunite and fix things. But God said, no, leave them alone. And so the people of Samaria in this northern kingdom kind of just pulled everything. They said, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship. You can actually offer sacrifices here in Dan and Bethpage, and they set up idols. They basically took out all of the prophets and the poetry and said, we don't need to listen to that. We just have the Pentateuch. And in fact, we don't need your Pentateuch. We have our own. And so they were despised. When the northern kingdom was invaded by Assyria and they were scattered and they were basically left, people from Assyria began to move in and they would intermarry. And so everyone just considered them the dogs. They were hated. They were seen as traitors, as outcasts, people who didn't belong. And so Jesus tells this story. And the point of Jesus' story is not what the man would have imagined. Who is my neighbor? 
I think Jesus would have said it is the person who is the most distant from you spiritually, emotionally, economically, and racially. And you are called to love them. Now, there is an incredible importance in going to those people. Those people who live in other places. We put a lot of money as a church into foreign missions. Going and leaving this place to go minister somewhere else. But we can focus so much of our energy on the complexity of going there that we miss the simplicity of going here. We need to go there. We are commanded to go there. But we are also commanded to love those here and to serve those here. See, it's a really big step to go love someone you may never meet. It's a really simple step to go next door. And with so much hate in our world, with so much division, it's really difficult to hate those that you have a relationship with. We make so many assumptions about people before we actually get to know them. The disciples are asking Jesus, when are you going to restore? He's been resurrected. When are you going to restore your kingdom? We're, we're waiting for this time. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But he says this in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Jesus gives these concentric circles. And he says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. That's where they were. That was kind of their home base, their headquarters. You're going to go to Jerusalem. But you're also going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then you're also going to go to the ends of the earth. But their mission begins where they are. See, later on in Acts, Paul is going to tell people that God has put people in a certain place at a certain time for a purpose. Do you believe that God has planted you where you are at this time for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose? During the, the funeral yesterday for Mr. Willie, I shared a story about a really, really difficult day for both Cammie and I. It was about a month ago. And Mr. Willie's health had continued to deteriorate. And it seemed like every time we turned around, the ambulance was at his front door. And he was having to go to the hospital. And this day... I think at lunchtime, I had come home, the ambulance was outside, and so we walked over to Mr. Willie's house, and he was having another heart attack. And he was sitting in the chair, and he was crying, and he was holding the hand of the paramedic, and he was in such pain. 
And he looks over and he says, Gary, will you pray for me? And so I went over and I put my hand on him and I prayed for him. And as he got in the ambulance, he asked the paramedics for his phone. And he called Cammie on the way to the hospital and said, will you pray for me too? And Cammie prayed for him. And his phone died. And it took a while for us to kind of figure out what was going on. But a couple days later, Cammie went to the hospital and got to bring him home. He was so excited to get to come home. It was a day or two later that I guess he plugged everything in on his nightstand and went to sleep and never woke up. And the reason I told that story yesterday to his family is because that was a hard day for us. We watched someone that we loved and cared about in an incredible amount of pain. But on the other side of that, we had the blessing of getting to be there when one of our friends needed us the most. When he was scared, and he was hurting, and he was afraid. And I say that because the only opportunity, the only reason we had that opportunity is because the past eight or nine years, we've been friends with Mr. Willie. And we've both loved on each other and given to each other and just been neighbors. In fact, one of the last times he was in the hospital, he said, hey, I don't have my keys my house is not locked. We just said, don't worry. We'll watch it. What would happen if we consistently showed up in the people's lives that lived around us? You think of all the people here this morning, how many different streets and neighborhoods are represented in this community? What would happen if on your street, in your community, you began a movement of just simply getting to know your neighbors and getting the people from outside of their houses inside? Because we had a funeral for a neighbor yesterday, and we had people from our neighborhood, four different neighbors that showed up for Mr. Willie's funeral. What would happen if all of our neighborhoods, the people that claim to be the people of Jesus, truly lived out what he said? That begins by simply showing up. Showing up consistently day after day. One of my favorite baseball players of all time is a guy named Cal Ripken, Jr., And back in 1995, he broke Lou Gehrig's streak 
of consecutive games. In the end, Cal Ripken Jr. played 2,632 straight baseball games. In a day and time when more and more athletes sit out to rest, he showed up every day ready to go to work because he believed he was blessed to play a game. What would it look like if you and I became the Cal Ripken Juniors of our neighborhoods who showed up every day in the life of our neighbors, loving them and sharing life with them? What would be different? As I was preparing for Willie Freeman's funeral this week, I called Harvey Grant. And if you don't know Harvey, I'm so sorry. One of the most amazing men, he and Willie were both one of our first elders here at Shiloh, of the original four. And we got to talking, and I love conversations with Harvey. It's one of my most favorite people in the world to sit down and talk. I hope you're listening, by the way, Harvey. One of my most favorite people in the whole world to sit down and talk to. And Harvey said, there are times when people will say, well, I'm going to leave Shiloh. When he was an elder, they, they were going to leave Shiloh because it wasn't a very loving church or something like that. Harvey said he would always look at those people. And he would say, do you want to be a part of a more loving church? Then you be a more loving person. And then you will be a part of a church that is more loving. You want to be a part of a church that's more giving? Then give more. And then you will be a part of a church that is more giving. I wonder if the same could be said in our neighborhoods. Do you want to live on a street in a neighborhood that is more loving then be more loving and then you will live on a street in a neighborhood that is more loving do you want to live on a street where people know their neighbors well then get to know your neighbors and then you will live on a street where people know their neighbors I think those words by Harvey may be some of the greatest words of wisdom he could still pass on to us today. And so this week, I said you have some homework. It's pretty simple. I want you to get to know your neighbors. And I need to put a little caveat in there. You cannot use Google. I want you literally to go next door. Now, here's the beauty of this. It's November, it's Thanksgiving time, it's Christmas time, and everyone expects to get something. Take some cookies, take a loaf of bread, walk next door, knock on the door, say, hi, my name is Gary. Use your name, of course. My name is Gary, and I've never met you. And then ask them their name. 
And then here's what I want you to do. On the inside of every row, there is a bunch of these block maps. And so if you have those, pass them down your row, and you need one for every household. And if there's not enough on your row, just ask someone on the row in front of you, but there should be plenty. And on this block map, it says right in the middle, you are here. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to get to know the people that live around you. And I want you to write the names of the people that live in the three houses behind you, directly behind you, diagonally. I want you to get to know the people that live next door on both sides, and then the people across the street. Eight neighbors. If, if you don't have people that, like, for instance, we don't have people that live behind us, fill them in with neighbors that live on the other side or down the street. But I would like you to write down the name of eight neighbors that live around you. And here's what I want you to begin doing. Praying for those neighbors by name. Praying for those neighbors by name. And as you get to know them, we're going to talk about some more opportunities that you have to minister to to share life with in the coming weeks. But this week is really simple. I want you to write down your name, their names. And next week, if you don't have this done, we're going to have bouncers at the door. (laughs) Just do it. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Because the reason that we gather is not just simply to check off box. We come together to edify one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to pray over and with one another, and then to be sent out to be the people of God in this world. And I believe if we will do that and we will learn to love our neighbors well, that we will be the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be. And we will see things begin to change in our city. And maybe, maybe through those relationships, God will begin to answer the prayer from long ago. God, heal our land. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we pray that you would give us the courage to simply go next door and to love the people that live around us well. Thank you for the friendships that we have, the relationships with those that live around us, And Father, it is our prayer that those relationships will begin a movement in our city to bring transformation and to bring the gospel to all people. Father, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.